what it means to share today our burdens. And so, if you will look with me at Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 16. I'm going to read the context for us, but we're going to focus our attention only on verse 2 of chapter 6. If you're willing and able, would you stand together with me? I'll read Galatians 5, and we'll go down through verse 2 of chapter 6. This is the very word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. The command that you see in verse 2 of chapter 6 is all we're going to focus our attention on. The text says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Honestly, I think we're pretty good at this as a congregation. We do a pretty good job as a congregation our size, of bearing each other's burdens on a personal level. At least I can think of a lot of examples. Can't you, of where we've done that together? It's awesome. But just like a good tennis player doesn't get content with her forehand, doesn't get content with his backhand, so we're going to focus on it again and talk about it. How do we become a community that really is centered on the gospel? We share one another's burdens together and so fulfill the law of Christ. So let's practice our forehand together, shall we? Let's practice our backhand. Like a good swimmer, let's practice backstrokes. Let's practice evaluating, thinking together how well we do this. And let's look at the text. This text is very simple. The outline is very basic. What we should do and why we should do it. And I'll give us several examples. First, what we should do. We should, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. The form of the word for bear is bastazo. It is an indicative, it is a present indicative, which means that it is a command. 
I'm sorry, present imperative, which means it's a command. It's an imperative. It's telling you this is not optional. If you're a Christ follower, if you are bought by the blood of Jesus, if you place your faith in him, this is not some kind of elective in the Christian life. This is assumed. And notice that it's present tense, which gives us the sense of you keep on bearing one another's burdens. It's not that you do it once. It's not like Paul is saying this is a random act of kindness that you should do. It's not saying that you should only do this in the month of February, but you should make it a regular part of your lifestyle that you bear one another's burdens. Paul doesn't say you should bear one another's problems. He doesn't say you should bear one another's difficulties, like an illness or some kind of deep sorrow or like a financial burden on us. He also doesn't say you should bear one another's great responsibilities, like like raising a child on your own. But he uses a metaphor, doesn't he, that encompasses all of that and more. The metaphor of bearing burdens. Like if I had a backpack on right now, and um, or men, if we were in Colorado and we were hiking together in the Rockies, we all had 40 or 50 pound packs and we were trying to go 12 miles in a day. At the end of those 12 miles, we were just wiped out. Or children, if you come home from school and your backpack is just way down with the books your teachers have given you. Or college students, you know what it's like to carry all these books back to your car, back to your dorm. At the end of that day, if we were camping out or hiking or coming home from school or carrying books across campus and we needed help to get that backpack off of our backs, what would we say? We'd say, hey, can you give me a hand getting this off? And so if you were taking a backpack off of a man after a 12-mile hike, what would you do? You would get very close to him, and you would allow the backpack to shift some of the weight off of the man's back, and you would bear it for him, with him, together. And then you would lower it down to the ground. And in many ways, the metaphor to bear means that you have to get intimately close to somebody, And when you bear one of those burdens, what does this mean? Paul is trying to say to the Galatians, you have to emotionally get extremely close to somebody to do that. You have to almost stand in their own shoes and to allow them to shift the weight of that burden off of them and you share that weight with them. That is that you give them your time and that you give them your emotional energy to be a good listener sometimes to be someone who shares your expertise in areas that you have to share, to let the weight of that burden fall upon you so that you can't just stand there. You have to actively absorb the weight. When um, Let's think about examples of how we do this as a church. When uh, we help people live well, when, when babies are born in our church, you know, you'll see uh, Stacy Baker oftentimes will send out a meal train for us, and we'll sign up for the meal train to help this young mother or this young father with this new child, and we'll send them meals, and we'll sit at their house, and we'll listen to them really well. We'll help, we'll help this child, this family live well. And on the other end of life, there are some of us who, who help people die well. We sit with the person who's in hospice or who has a terminal illness or who is ill, and we sit with them. And we give them the dignity that they rightly deserve by being with them in their presence. Sometimes with words, we don't even know what to say. We just sit with them. We're with them. 
We hold their hand. We sing over them. We quote God's word to them. We help them live well by bearing burdens. We help them die well by bearing burdens. But here then is the test for us. Paul doesn't say you just point your finger and show somebody what to do with their burden. He uses this metaphor to bear very intentionally to say that you have to bear it, which necessitates an active participation in the burden itself. Are you with me? Jonathan Edwards says that there's a test for bearing burdens for each other. He says that if the burden that you bear for one another does not in some way cost you something, you have not yet begun to bear the burden. This is what Edwards says. He was preaching, um, and somebody said to him, he was preaching on giving to the poor, and somebody said, wait a minute, I can't afford to give to the poor. And Edwards wrote, in many cases... We may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. If our neighbor's difficulties and necessities be greater than our own, we should be willing to suffer with him and to take part of his burden on ourselves. Otherwise, how is that rule of bearing one another's burden fulfilled? If we never oblige to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burden when we bear no burden at all? In other words, what he's trying to say through 18th century language is you can't just point and use your expertise and say, this is what you should do with your burden. It's, you're not bearing their burden. You're just telling them what to do with it. Burden bearing, Paul implies, is taking upon the load in some way upon yourself so that it comes at some cost to you. And again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit in this text to this point because we do that pretty well, I think. Don't you? Like we have eyes to see in our community groups how we can bear one another's burden. But this is the part of the text right now that I'm about to talk about where actually it's harder for me because the Greek word that Paul uses is all alone. It means, it sounds phonetically like all alone, but in Greek it's all alone. It means one another's. Paul does not say you should bear others' burdens, which quite frankly we are very good at. But Paul implies that it is a reciprocal relationship. You bear one another's burdens. And Paul here says it takes a gospel-changed heart to be able to give help unselfishly to somebody, and it takes a gospel-shaped heart to be able to unashamedly receive help from somebody. Many of us are so resourceful in our ability to give help, but sometimes we actually give help so much so that we hide our real need for help in certain areas. When I was a, when I was a campus minister, there was a cafe that every Wednesday I had office hours in. It was called Cafe Viv at the Frist Student Center. And at Cafe Viv, we'd sit, I'd sit there for three hours, and students would come, and they would tell me all kinds of stories and all about their life. And many of the students in, in the ministry that I led were second-generation Koreans, Korean-American, second-generation. Their parents had come over from South Korea, and they had been raised as Americans. But they were culturally still very Korean. And they would tell me about all kinds of experiences they had. And when they would get to the grades, or when I would mention grades, they would rather die, not all, many of them, than tell me about their struggles in their academics. 
when we would talk about um, all sorts of things, but you talk about grades and <laughs> clamshell, still trap, don't go there. Because again, not all, but many of my students that were Korean, their grades were their value. It was so deeply personal to them that they would never share anything about their grades or their weaknesses or their struggles in that particular area of their life. But then I'd have African-American students and Caucasian students in the ministry who all they wanted to talk about was their grades and dating. And so we would just talk about grades and girls, grades and boys, and it was just like, oh my gosh. But then when I met with the Korean-American students, it would be like anything is fair game except grades and definitely not dating. What's interesting about that experience for me was that it helped me realize that all of us have blind spots on where we will let the gospel go and where we will not. And for many of us, it is very easy for us to obey Galatians 6 too. Are you with me? And we have no problem bearing one of those burdens. But yet we ourselves won't let ourselves be known by other people to allow them to bear our burdens with us. A gospel-changed heart both unselfishly gives to others and it also unashamedly receives help from others. And that's how we become a church that becomes a pilot project to Owasso and to Tulsa and to the world. We have no problem admitting our need for help because there will be no one in Christ's kingdom who won't at the tip of their tongue be free to say, I am here by grace. And those who are in hell are the self-sufficient, are the ones who never sought for help outside of their own resourcefulness. Why would I need the gospel if I'm content? Why would I need the gospel if I can do everything on my own? Are there areas of your life where you have a hard time asking for help? Where would you say those are? Do people know you? I don't mean, do, do they know your name? Do they know where you live? Do they know which community group you go to? But do you have somebody who deeply knows you? At Presbytery yesterday, which is the regional group of churches in our denomination, the brothers, the pastors of the churches talked about, are we really known we heard a sermon about do we allow the Lord to really challenge us to help us really know when we're exhausted? Do people know you? The interesting thing about being a campus minister to the students is that at the end of the year, while many of my uh, students who were Korean would never talk to me about grades, Whenever they got offers to jobs, amazing jobs, they would very freely process with me about which job would be best for them. And they would say, this is my offer. This is how much money I'm going to make. This is my bonus. This is the potential income I will earn. And they would share these things with me and with others close to them because they needed all the help they could get in the area of their financial life because they were their parents' retirement fund, because they kept, took care of their parents in old age, 
because it was part of their culture to care for their mom and dad. And so they would begin to shift money up, not just receive it from down. We tend to in the West, those of us who grew up in the U.S. But it was the African-American and Caucasian students who at the end of the year would never talk about money. Why? Because money was deeply personal to them. It was their worth. They would never talk about finances. While the Koreans would be, oh yeah, here it is. This is exactly what I make. This is, and they'd have no problem talking about it because it wasn't an idol. But those black and white students, you talk about, mm-mm-mm. I'll talk about grades. I'll talk about girls. I'll talk about boys. But I'm not talking about how much money I make. The gospel reveals to us our blind spots. And it helps us recognize that there are certain areas where we might need help, where we might need advice, where we might actually, somebody needs to help bear the burden with us. And we need to be people who don't, in our spiritual courage, run from help, but actually show that we need help, are free to receive help. It is not spiritually courageous to be self-sufficient. It is a mark of pride to be self-sufficient. Nobody in Christ's church is self-sufficient. We're all dependent upon Him. And if we're all dependent upon Him, why would we not also be dependent upon His body, which is manifested in the local church? So, some people, um, let's apply this to us. Some people would say, well, listen, Blake, what about the passage that Maggie read earlier in, in, in Psalm 55 that says, we are to cast our burdens on the Lord for He will sustain us. I, listen, I, I have no problem letting Jesus bear my burden. I cast my burden on the Lord because he cares for me, right? That sounds so very spiritual. That's amazing. That sounds so spiritual. And yes, you should cast your burden on the Lord, and the Lord has bared our greatest burdens of sin and death. Has he not? Hallelujah. Amen. But Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when he is talking about his deep despondency in the gospel, he is torn up. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 and 6, Paul says, We were afflicted at every turn. We were fighting without fear from without and within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by an amazing time in prayer. No, that's not what it says. He comforted us by an amazing worship experience. No, that's not what he said. He comforted us by an amazing quiet time. That's not what he says. It says he comforted us by the coming of Titus. Of all the resources God could have used to comfort the Apostle Paul, he used a friend. And the power of the local church is to become a place where you're known, where you have friends. And there are personality differences, and people all tend to prefer different people, but at the core of who we are, we are people bought together by the blood of Christ no matter where we come from, and that unifies us. So that we say we are both able to help others bear burdens, and we're also able to let others bear our burden. Do people know you? Do you have burdens that you might need to let others bear with and for you? Despite our therapeutic culture that encourages the kind of like self-revelation and this kind of stoic individualism comes the gospel that reminds us that self-sufficiency is not a mark of strength. It is actually, usually, certainly, 
Paul says, a mark of our pride. So on the one hand, we are to avoid the fear of the drain that people will have on us if we get too involved in their life. But on the other hand, we are also to avoid the kind of self-sufficient, arrogant pride that cultivates the kind of stuff that we read earlier in chapter 5, that cultivates uh, biting each other, devouring each other, being envy, conceding, provoking, envying one another. And when we're able to bear burdens together, it is really hard to envy each other because we know that we all bear burdens together. We're on the same team, the same vision to show that grace changes everything in our hearts as we rest in worship, in our community as we extend the gospel to our friends, and in our callings as we live out our vocations, whether it's a stay-at-home mom or an engineer at American Airlines. Why should we do this? The text says that we should do it because we are to fulfill the law of Christ. Anaplorositai means to fulfill. There's two very interesting words here, fulfill and law. Paul probably takes a nod to the Judaizers when he writes this verse because it was the Judaizers who said that the laws were what? They were like burdens. They were like gunny sacks on the people of God. They were to weigh them down. God's laws are to keep you grounded. And Paul says, no, you know what the real law is? John 13, 34. Greater man has no love than this. He lay his life down for his friends. He then later says, the law is fulfilled in what? That you love others as I have loved you. And Paul, in fact, says that very thing back in verse 14 of chapter 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The fulfillment of the law is the love of Christ. Demonstrating that to one another, being able to receive that from others, cultivating the same thing that the Holy Trinity experiences in itself, in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to fulfill the law of Christ. And Paul is taking a nod to the moralistic Judaizers who are saying, no, 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 you need to heap, heap laws on people to keep them grounded, legislate their life so that they know what is black and what is white. And Paul says, get that out of my face. The love of Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says to love one's neighbor, to bear one another's burden, to fulfill the law is the same thing. And we know that obviously Christ is the ultimate example of this, isn't it? Christ was the one who ultimately was the one who bare our burden on the cross. He took upon our greatest enemies of sin and death. We unloaded that burden. When you had a crisis of faith and you first believed the gospel, you unloaded the burden of your sin. You got it off of your shoulders and all of your self-saving strategy, and you let Christ bear it. Except your Savior didn't just hold it and raise it to the ground. It fell on your Savior, and it killed him. It nailed him to the cross. It pierced his side and his brow, and he bore the greatest burden you could ever, never have borne yourself, sin. And Jesus was the perfect man so that you don't have to try to be, and he took upon your burden. And friends, we... 
interpersonally do this as a church together. And many of us do this so well. I'm so thankful for that. But let me also encourage you in one other way. Not only should we do that interpersonally, but as our church continues to grow, we also need to do that for our church. Trinity is used in the English language. The church is used with the feminine pronoun, she, because the church begins to take a life of her own on. And our church has taken a life of her own on. And there are burdens that Trinity now bears that we need help with. And some of you men in the congregation who have the call to be elders and deacons and leaders of our church, but you're afraid to heed that call, would you please allow yourself to run to her and to help bear her burdens? We need your help. Some of you are so gifted in certain areas, and by serving in Christ's church in that way is one of those potential ways you can help bear not an interpersonal burden, but a corporate burden of the church. For example, we have a piece of land that's 15 acres that we're trying to move through surveys on, and we need a property search committee. I'm just trying to give really practical examples, right? We need a property development team to come around and to oversee those surveys and to think about how we can begin to choose an architect, Lord willing, and how we can begin to think about a building for that. If you have gifts in those areas, would you please tell me? Please let me know because we need you to help bear her burden. I can't bear that burden. I have other burdens to bear. The elders can't bear that burden. They have other burdens to bear. We need your help to do so. Or a capital campaign. How are we going to buy that land? Some of you have am amazing financial sense. We tend to be a, a, a congregation that has got a lot of engineers. We don't have a lot of businessmen. Although engineers, yes, they can be businessmen. Don't send me emails, but you know what I mean. People who have good business sense. We need those guys. Like South Tulsa is full of people who are in finance. We need people in finance too, especially right now to help us think about how we are going to pursue the payment of that land. Would you please help me? Would you tell us? Would you bear the burden of Trinity for us together? Or others, community groups. We need community group leaders some of us are afraid to lead community groups because we don't, we're worried about content, uh, uh, the commitment. And sometimes con commitments to things kind of become like my African-American or Caucasian students who would never talk about money or my signature Korean students who would never talk about grades. Sometimes all we need to do is open our home and invite people together, especially those who live out further than just Owasso. We need more community groups. These are ways we bear burdens together. Sometimes they're interpersonal needs that you can really feel, and sometimes they're institutional, if you will, needs where you are bearing those burdens together. What does it mean for us to share our burdens together? It means that we bear them. One another, together. How do we become, become a community that is a pilot project to the world? We bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. Wouldn't that be beautiful to be part of a church like that? Let's do it. Let's look to our Savior, who gives us the strength, for our righteousness is in Him, not in our abilities. But let us use our abilities in ways that reflect to the world the love of our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to recognize that 
we are called to bear one another's burdens, and also we are called to receive the burden-bearing gifts that others have to offer to us. Father, let us have pride in only one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is fully satisfied for all our sins so that not a hair can fall from our head without your command. Oh, Father, thank you that you sent your Son to bear our greatest burden of sin and death. And Jesus, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to bear one another's burdens well and so fulfill your law for Owasso, Tulsa, and the world. And would you allow, would you allow, O Holy Spirit, us to be able to receive others who want to help bear our burdens and allow us to be able to be known by others, to not be afraid of being known. And so, Jesus, we pray that you will do this in our midst in time. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy name. And all of God's people said, amen.